Hey, my name is Lucas, and I want to welcome you to the official podcast of Coastline Young Adults from Coastline Church in Victoria. This podcast is dedicated to encouraging you in your faith and helping you apply it to real life in real time. Here you'll find messages from our weekly service at Coastline Nights and other conversations where we talk and tackle what it means to be a follower of Jesus in today's culture. Everything you find here will point you to the truth and hope of Jesus. So grab a beverage, enjoy the message, and lean into how God wants to speak to you today. Welcome to church. Glad that you're here. My name's Adam. If you've never met me before, I live in the West Shore and pastor our West Shore campus. If you're ever in the West Shore, maybe you live there, why don't, why don't you consider coming to hang out with me in the morning and coming at night? And just, say, just come say hi. I'd love to say hi to you. Um, God's doing some really cool things in our church. We're not a, a different church. We're part of this church. Uh, we're one of our campuses. And God's moving in some really, really cool ways. And uh, just really thankful to be able to share with you tonight. Uh, I'm married, got four kids. My wife's named Shandy. And uh, a while ago, Shandy and I, we went on a road trip to Salt Spring Island. Anybody ever been to Salt Spring Island before? Woo! We love Salt Spring Island. So the other day, and by the other day, I mean like a year ago, um, we went to Salt Spring Island for a little family vacay. And we all get into the the car and we're we're there and we kind of get out of the car. and We're looking at the ocean because we used to be from Alberta. And we're like, wow, water, praise Jesus. And, uh, and then all of a sudden, this lady catches my eye way across the other side of the boat. And we shared this kind of awkward gaze together, this older lady. And then all of a sudden, she started mock- walking my way. And in that moment, I started to panic a little bit, thinking, oh, no, oh, no, oh, no. Where do I know her from? Do I know her from church? Do I know her from school? Do I know her from the city? Did I cut her off on the ferry? Like, what do, what do I know? And so, so she's walking closer. I'm, I'm panicking, trying to go through my head. Who is she? Who is she? Who is she? Who is she? Finally, she comes up real close, and she says, <gasps> give me a hug. And I'm thinking, oh, my word. And so I kind of just step in and let her hug me because I'm a little nervous and then kind of give this hug, this little move, like, hi. And she pulls herself back, looking at me eye to eye. And she says, John. And I'm thinking, awkward, because I'm Adam. And she says, John, it's your mom. And she hugs me again. And at this point, I'm panicking, thinking, I, and I hug her, and I'm thinking, where do you go from here? What do I do? And, and I pull myself back, and I'm saying, I, I'm so sorry, ma'am. My, name, my name's Adam, and uh, this is my wife. These are my kids. I, you must have me confused for somebody else. And she says, oh, I, I'm so sorry, son. I'm so sorry. And, and, and we exchange this, like, super awkward moment, and she walks away. And, and I thought that was the end of the story. Until later on, when we get ready to dock, I go to get in my car, and all of a sudden I'm like, She stole my wallet. And I'm thinking, how is this even possible? This cute little old lady is a thief. Oh my goodness. And so I'm trying to figure out what do I do with this? What do I do about this? Thinking, did she steal my wallet or is it in the van? No, I'm pretty sure she stole my wallet. So I started going up and down the aisles, looking in the cars, trying to find this old thief. And I'm looking inside every single window. No, 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 no. Ha! Founder, white Corolla, nailed it. If you drive a white Corolla, you're guilty too. Okay, so, so here she is. I knock on the window. She pretends she can't hear me, right? And so I knock on the window again. 
And she's just sitting there like cold face, looking straight. So I, I wave in, fr- in front of the windshield there. I, I kind of knock again. She's trying to ignore me. And then all of a sudden I get a little bit bold. I don't know what got into me. And I opened her door. <laughs> and it was at this point I realized this could get me into some trouble. <laughs> and I opened her door and she gets out of the car. Security! Security! This man's trying to steal my car! And I'm thinking, are you kidding me? You just stole my wallet, lady! And so here I am trying to talk to her. This crowd of like ferry workers are kind of gathering all around us. They're like, what's going on here? I'm like, this lady, she stole my wallet. I didn't steal your wallet. Like, you did. Show me inside of your bag. And it was at this point of the story where I started to really pray that that wallet was inside of her bag. <laughs> and so, so I'm like, it's in your bag. She's like, it's not in your bag. I'm like, it's in your bag. And all of a sudden, I just reach my hand in there. <laughs> and I grab it. And I pull it out. A big pile of fake news. Make believe. I made this whole story up. It didn't even happen. No, it didn't happen. No, no, it, it, it was all fake. You see, uh, this didn't happen. I didn't steal anything. She didn't steal anything from me. We didn't even go to Salt Spring. <laughs> you followed along, didn't you? And what I want to speak to you about tonight is dishonesty. <laughs> and it is so easy to get duped. It's so easy. It's so easy to start believing somebody else's story. It's so easy to start believing the stories that you tell yourself that eventually you get to this place where I don't even know what's true and what isn't, what's right and what's wrong, what, where, where I used to stand, what I now stand for. I, I've, I've lost something. And what I've come to realize is dishonesty is incredibly deadly. And this particular story that we're going to look at tonight touches on dishonesty in a way, in a way that will shock you. Many of you, you've probably read it before, but for some of you tonight, this will be the first time you'll ever have heard this story. And I want to preface with this isn't how it always works, but this happened to Ananias and Sapphira. So we want to walk through this story together and see what we can learn from it, because I am convinced tonight that God wants to uproot something in each of us. Nobody would raise their hand and say, hey, 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 I'm a dishonest person. We wouldn't do that. But in our heart of hearts, it's scary how dishonest we can be sometimes. Not just towards others, not just towards ourselves, but also towards God. So let's pray. Lord, thank you for this moment. Forgive me for lying to 200 people but it was really fun. Lord, I pray that you would take this sermon and speak directly to our hearts. Thank you that you're here. Thank you for bringing us all here in this moment. Father, would you speak to us? In your name we pray, amen. So before we get to chapter five, I wanna highlight something in chapter four. In Acts chapter four, verse 32, it says these words. If you have your Bible, pull it out. If you don't have your Bible, look at the screen. If you don't have eyes, just sit there awkwardly. Verse 32. All the believers were united in heart and mind. And they felt that what they owned was not their own. God God was moving at this point in the church. And and he was stirring something up inside of them. And it says they shared everything they had. 
Not because they were told they had to. Because they were so filled with the joy of the Lord. So filled with the spirit of God. So filled with this, this um, just dramatic passion to, to, to sh- preach the vision. To live the vision. To reach the world. That all of a sudden what was theirs, they wanted to give it away. It says in verse 33, the apostles testified powerly, powerfully to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus and God's blessing was upon them. God was moving. People were excited. The church was alive. Verse 34. There were, there were no needy people among them. Like they said to themselves, we're not just going to say we're Christians. We're going to live this out. We are going to be Christians. And we're going to show our faith by our ability to share what it is that we have with the needy. There were no needy people among them. Because those who owned land or houses would sell them. And bring the money to the apostles to give to those in need. There was this this radical sense of, I will do anything to see the mission of God move forward. For instance, it says, there was Joseph, the one the apostles nicknamed Barnabas, which means son of encouragement. He was from the tribe of Levi and came from the island of Cyprus. He sold a field that he owned and he brought the money to the apostles. Now I want us to stop right there just for a second. Joseph, or the one they call Barnabas, he was the man. Like imagine living a life so compelling that the author of the Bible, the author of this particular book, decided, you know what, we need to give a little quick name drop to Joseph because this guy is just crushing it as a Christian. Absolutely crushing it. Barnabas is the man. And I've noticed something really fascinating over the years. When when God does something really cool in a person, and when God elevates a leader, people start to emulate that leader. When God elevates somebody, what we do in the church is we tend to emulate that somebody. And I want to go on record just to say, that that is a dumb idea. That is a dangerous idea. Because a person's calling is unique to that person. Coastline College is coming. Check it out. See it. See what God, is, what God has planned for you. But if you try to stand on someone else's platform... You see, your your character may not be able to sustain the weight because that platform is connected to them and not to you. You see, we, we don't tend to look at life this way or Christianity this way, but it is dishonest to try and be somebody that you're not, to try and wear someone else's shoes to try and walk in someone else's anointing, walk in someone else's gifting, walk in someone else's calling. I'm not saying don't be inspired by people. Gosh, that'd be dumb. And I'm not saying don't have mentors. What I'm saying is incredibly deeper than this. Our church, our community, this service, our world is not a better place if we all look the same, right? 
we're not actually supposed to imitate people. The Bible actually challenges us and encourages us and directs us and guides us to try and imitate Christ. And that is profoundly different from trying to imitate some other Christian, Christian leader. Imitation has limitations. Imitation has limitations. And you will never be fulfilled if you can't learn to embrace the person that God has created you to be. Okay? You, you, you don't, it, it's, it's not actually helpful to, to try and be Pastor Lucas. It's not actually helpful for everybody to be Pastor Josh. The world needs you. Needs your unique calling, your unique perspective, your unique DNA, your unique um, interpretation of life. Imitation is fascinating. Uh, I have some inflatable kayaks, and we have three of them, and one of them has a hole in it. And so usually we don't really know which one. I always forget to check which one, but one of the three has a hole in it. You always know which one has the hole in it after about 30 minutes, because that one's full of water. Now, imitation is like going in a kayak with a hole in it. You can get from point A to point B, but you never feel fully confident because you know you're constantly deflating. And if you're just always trying to be somebody else, you're never going to fully feel like your fullness, like your true identity. You're never going to be able to fully embrace who you are. Because you're always going to feel like there's some sort of gap. And you're always going to be in this constant state of deflating. And I know that's speaking to somebody tonight. You've been trying to try and try and try to fit in. Fit in here. Fit in with God. Fit in with your family. Fit in even for yourself. You feel like, I don't even know who I am anymore. And so inadvertently and subtly, we try to imitate something that we've seen before. I want you to fight the temptation to do that. Don't, don't do that. Because imitation has limitations. And what I want to do this evening is look at the power of dishonesty. Because if we're just trying to be somebody we're not, we're in our, in somewhere deep inside of our core, we're being dishonest with who we are. So let's look at chapter five. And this is where the story comes alive, okay? Chapter five, verse one says these words. But there was a certain man named Ananias who with his wife, Sapphira, sold some property. That's awesome. Way to go, you two. You're, you're making a difference. You've been so impacted by the vision of the church that you decided you're gonna go out and sell your property and that is incredible, Verse two, he brought part of the money to the apostles, claiming it was the full amount. This is where he gets himself in trouble. Then it says, with his wife's consent, he kept the rest. So if you're taking notes, the first thing I want you to write down is dishonesty is subtle. Dishonesty is subtle. 
Nobody wins when you try to pretend that you're somebody that you're not. Nobody wins when you pretend to have something that you don't have. Nobody wins when you project yourself as being somebody different than who you actually are. You see, Ananias, in, in, in many ways, maybe in a not-so-subtle way, tried to emulate Barnabas. He did the noble thing. Like, like the guy sold his property and gave it to the apostles. That, that's, that's actually incredible. It's actually noble. But Ananias was dishonest. He, he projected himself as, as, as better than he was. He painted a picture that, that didn't tell the full truth about himself. He, he lied to make himself look better. He didn't trust God. Didn't trust God as his provider. Didn't trust God with his, his, that he would be um, with, with, his, with his provision. So, so, so he hid some for himself. Yeah, he did a good thing. Yes, he did a noble thing. He did a generous thing. And this is why dishonesty is subtle. Just because you can justify something, it doesn't mean that it's right. So he's, you know, his, his problem actually wasn't even the fact that, that like, Ananias, it, the problem wasn't that he, gave, he didn't give 100%. The problem that took place was Ananias said he gave 100% when he actually didn't. Ananias' sin wasn't that, that he's like, no, 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 I'm not gonna give God my all. His sin was that he didn't give his all and he pretended that he did. And this is where the story gets a little bit meddling in our own hearts, in our own lives. Because I can see myself in that. I, I can picture times where I've done that. I maybe haven't given him, sold all my property and, and, and had that exact scenario, but I can, I can remember times in my life where, where I said I gave it all, but I really didn't. And Christianity is an all-in kind of faith. And if you're not ready to go all-in, that, that, that's okay but don't tell yourself that you are all in when you're not actually all in because now you're in conflict. Now you're being dishonest. And this is where we get ourselves into trouble. Verse three. Then Peter said, Ananias, no, Ananias, no. Why have you let Satan fill your heart? Like he goes deep fast. You lied to the Holy Spirit and you kept some of that money for yourself. The property was yours to sell or not to sell as you wished and after selling it, the money was also yours to give away. Nobody told you that you had to give your money away. Nobody was telling you to sell your property and give it to the needy. Nobody told you to do that. You did that on your own. After selling it, the money was yours to give away. How, how, how could you do a thing like this? Ananias, you weren't lying to us. You were lying to God. So number one, dishonesty is subtle. But number two, 
looking at this text, dishonesty is demonic. And I know that's a strong word, but if you want to look like the devil, the best way for you to do that is to be dishonest. It's to to pretend that you're somebody that you're not. In John 8, 44, it says that the devil is a liar and the father of lies. So dishonesty is actually an incredibly powerful thing. It's fascinating in the Bible where it says that the devil is the father of lies and Jesus calls himself truth. It's interesting. You see, you can trick yourself into pretending to be someone that you're not. You can trick your spouse. You can trick your friend. You can trick your pastor. You can trick everybody in this room into thinking that you're doing better than you are. But we can't actually trick God. And this is what the text is getting to, this idea of, 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 of truth. The devil wants to trap you in this moment. He loves to, 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 to distract you from being who God created you to be by encouraging you to imitate someone else. He doesn't have to convince you to go rob a bank to ruin your life. If he can convince you that you're not enough and that you need to be like him or you need to be like her, so you stop being like Christ, you stop being who you are, and you just spend your whole entire life trying to imitate imitate somebody else, the devil's got you. He got you. And we don't even notice. But imitation has limitations. Verse 5. As soon as Ananias heard these words, like as soon as Peter rebukes him in that moment, the Bible says he fell to the floor and died. I want to just throw out there, because I didn't clarify this this morning, and Shandy called me up afterwards, and she's like, Adam, I think you just scared the entire church. They might think that if they tell a lie, they will die. (laughs) Um... When we read the scriptures, you'll learn this at Coastline College. Some things in the Bible are prescriptive. Some things in the Bible are descriptive. Meaning some things are, of if you do this, this will happen. Some things in the Bible are, learn from this, because this happened. And so this would be one of those scenarios where, if you lie, you may not die. But maybe you will, so keep your honesty on. We continue. So he falls to the floor and dies. Everyone who heard about this was terrified. Then some young men, they got up, wrapped him in a sheet, and took him out and buried him. And our youth group, we do like belly flop competitions. Their youth group, they're wrapping up dead guys and burying them in the field. Whole different way to do church back then, tell you that much. Wow. This particular verse, I want you to remember, so dishonesty is subtle, dishonesty is demonic, but dishonesty clearly here is very dangerous. (laughs) I mean, let's be real. This would be a really great bedtime story if your kids were struggling with telling the truth, right? <laughs> Don't lie or you'll die, Thomas. <laughs> Just kidding. That'd be, you'd be an awful parent if you did that. But here, here, here's the tragic irony of this particular situation. You see, the act that Ananias thought would bring him honor. I'm selling my property and I'm giving it to the church. 
Me and Barnabas, we got it going on. Follow me on Instagram. The act that he thought would bring him honor inevitably actually brought his destruction. That is some subtle, subtle trickery. Dishonesty is deadly. Verse 7. After hours, about three hours later, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. So she got no idea that her husband just died. And the Bible just kind of blasts through this story. So the wife walks in. Oh, hey, Peter, how you doing? And Peter, instead of telling, him, telling her that her husband died, he's like, I'm going to test her right now. This is a great moment. Peter asks, what was the price that your husband received for your land? Was this the price? And she responds back, oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> of course that was the price. Dishonesty is dangerous, but dishonesty can also be, give a sense of false security. Sapphira backed up Ananias. And sometimes we think that we're helping a situation by covering up someone else's lie. But dishonesty can't actually solve another person's problem. Simply, simply put, you cannot protect somebody by covering up their sin. No matter how noble it feels, no matter how justified it feels, no matter how much you love them, we can't just cover it up. And, and, and we, we struggle with this, especially when we get into relationships. I'll just try and cover my wife's sin or I'll just try and cover my friend's sin. We're bros. But we're not actually helping somebody when we're doing that. The only solution to a person's sin is Christ. Nobody wins when we're dishonest with God. Verse nine, it continues. It says, and Peter said, how could the two of you even think of conspiring to test the spirit of the Lord like this? The young men who buried your husband are just outside the door and they're gonna carry you out too. And instantly, she too fell to the floor and died. When the young men came in and saw that she was dead, they carried her out and buried her beside her husband. Then it says in verse 11, great fear gripped the entire church and everyone else who heard what had happened. Well, no kidding. They're all thinking, oh my gosh, if you lie, you die. Prescriptive and descriptive, don't panic. But what we see here is we see that dishonesty is actually contagious. Dishonesty has, has strings attached. When we're, when we're dishonest with God, what, is, what it shows us, what the story illuminates for us, is that when we are dishonest with God, not, it's not just us, but other people can get hurt. I want to close this evening by asking you a question, and I'll invite the band back up. And here's my question for you. Now I want you to be honest. Is there something in your life that you've been dishonest about? Is there something in your life that you've been dishonest about? Maybe you wouldn't have articulated it that way when you walked in. 
But if you were to take an inventory of your heart this evening, is there some sort of subtle disconnect between who you say you are and who you are behind closed doors? I'm always encouraged by a, a, a church gathering like this because the truth is we can, we can leave here different than the way that we came in. In fact, I've heard it said, and I've always kind of lived by this thought, that, that your level of expectation today is the greatest limiter of what God wants to do in your life. It's you. The biggest obstacle between you leaving here, different than the way that you came in, is actually you. Actually, it's actually contingent upon your level of vulnerability with the Lord. I want us to flip back to Acts chapter three, verse 19. And it says these words. It says, now repent of your sins and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped away. Then times of refreshment will come from the presence of the Lord. Some of us, what's happened through life is We've looked for refreshment in all the wrong places. And you've been looking for refreshment. That if I could just be like him, then I would feel refreshed. If I could just be like her, I will feel refreshed. If I can just be with her or be with him, I'll be refreshed. If I could just get a husband, man, I would please Jesus, then I'll be refreshed. If I could just figure out this, if I could just do that, then I will find my refreshment. Maybe it's another book I need to read. Maybe it's another this. Maybe it's another that. But we find ourselves searching for refreshment. But the truth is, it's the Lord who provides that. And this act of repenting of our sin is the pathway to finding that refreshment. Some of you have been hiding from God. Ironically, you come to church to hide from him. You're close enough that nobody would ever ask a question. But your heart, you couldn't be further, further away. So you're living in this disconnect. You're living in this tension. You're living in this, this, this dishonesty. Some of you just been, you've been, you've been feeling so bad, so ashamed for that, guilty, trying to fix yourself so you can just come back to Jesus. If I can just get my head back on straight, then I can come back to Him. Maybe just maybe, God will do something. Friends, dishonesty will never bring you closer to God. Even if it's for a noble cause. We can't trick him. So this evening, I want to pray two prayers. And the first prayer, we're going to pray just in our seats. I invite you to close your eyes and forget everybody else that's in this room. There is no repentance without honesty. 
And I want so desperately for each of you to feel and experience a time of refreshment from the Lord. And that time of refreshing refreshment doesn't have to come when the band swells and it gets all big and glorious. That time of refreshment comes through repentance. So I want to lead you in a prayer. Dear Jesus, we come before you tonight with open hearts, with honest hearts, hearts of repentance. Jesus, where there are disconnects, where there is confusion, where there are, maybe we've been trying to be somebody we're not, but where there is sin that we need to repent of, Jesus, in this moment, we repent. I invite you right now just to confess whatever it is that you've been walking through to the Lord. You can read your thoughts. So you can just think about it if you're too scared to say it out loud. But God, in this moment, we repent. God, we want to be one with you. We want to experience your refreshment. We want to know and remember and feel what it means to be a son or a daughter of God. Jesus, restore that which the enemy has taken from us. Restore us. Those, those, those lies that we have come to believe, God, we reject those in Jesus' name. Help us to see who we are through your lens, oh God. We ask for your forgiveness. Fill us, refresh us, Lord. I want to look at another scripture with you before we leave. And this is a fascinating one. The Lord, the Lord brought this one to mind this weekend. It's found in Mark. And it's not related, but it's so related. And it's the story of Jesus healing the blind man. It says in Mark chapter 8, verse 23, Jesus took the blind man by his hand and led him out to the village. Then spitting on the man's eyes, he laid his hands on him and asked him, can you see anything now? And the man looked around and he said, yes, I see people. And everybody in the crowd just started clapping. Yeah, yeah, Jesus has healed this guy. This is great. But then he continues. He says, I see people, but I can't see them very clearly. They look like trees walking around. And sometimes in life, some situations require more than one prayer. Where what happens is sometimes it's such a long-standing issue, such a deep issue, that just one little prayer, it does something, but there's more. I'll tell you right now, it takes honesty and courage to admit before Jesus that you hadn't been fully healed. <laughs> it would have taken honesty and courage for that man to say, you know what? I can see, but I can't see clearly. Friends, 
The scope of your freedom is directly related to the scope of your honesty. I need you to hear that tonight. The scope of your freedom is directly related to the scope of your honesty. And so sometimes what happens in life is we pray, and many of you, you've done this a lot, or you come to a church service like this, and you sit in the pews, and you watch, you do the church thing, and you raise your hands and you worship, and you sit down, and you take notes, and you even pray at the end of the service that God would do something great, and you feel good, and it feels great. And that is awesome. But deep down, deep down, you know there, there, is, there is more. Like you just scratched the surface, but like even for some of us, those, those repentant moments, like we, weren't, we, weren't, we didn't go deeper, deep enough. Because there's some of those things where we almost don't even believe God could actually even do anything with it. For years, I, you know, I didn't want to tell anybody what I'm about to tell you. And I struggled this, with this for a while. But for some of us, there's shame in the room. I, uh, I got myself into a dark space. And my wife, she, she called me out on it a few months ago. She said, Adam, there's, there's something different about you. Are you okay? My first response was, yeah, yeah, I'm fine. I can see clearly. I'm fine. Said, Are you okay, though? I know you're fine. I'm still coming to church, still raising my hand. I'm still preaching bangers. It's fine. But on my insides, I was sad. I was sad all the time. I started feeling trapped. It started getting scary. And I found myself listening to my wife and going for counseling. And I went to see a doctor. And then, then I got diagnosed with depression and anxiety. And then I started taking medication. And there was this piece of me that was like, what? I'm a preacher. I'm such a fake. How, God, how does this happen? And I started feeling dishonest because I would project. But on the insides, I'm like, oh man, I'm dying in here. And God spoke to me this weekend. He said, Adam, like, you don't have to walk alone. And I thought I was saving others, helping others by not letting them into my world. But I really believe the Holy Spirit is saying, no, 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 no. We need to, you need to be vulnerable. <laughs> you need to show others that Christ is still findable in these seasons. And so I want, I want to, I want, with that, I want to pray one more time. I just shared my biggest secret that I've ever had. And I want you to share your biggest secret that you ever had 
with the Lord. Here's the irony. He actually already knows. So you don't have to pretend anymore. There's freedom in that. So would you stand with, your, with me? Would you stand your feet? I want to pray one more time. Some of you have been walking through mental health stuff for a long time. And you f- feel like you suck. Listen. Jesus is real. There's no shame in that. We'll pray. So we're going deep. Jesus, you see the deeper version of us too. The hidden version. The scared version. And the fearful version. You see the insecure version of us. You see the version of us that projects to make us feel like we're bigger than we are. And Jesus, in this moment, I pray for renewal in this church. God, from this posture of humility, Holy Spirit, we invite you in. We pray for courage. We pray for strength. We pray for peace. I pray for hope. Father, in this moment, I pray that you would restore dreams. I pray, Father, in this moment that you would restore relationships. God, in those places, those dark places of our heart where we thought you would never go, Jesus, from this vulnerable place, God, we pray for light. Jesus, thank you that you're here. Thank you that there's freedom in honesty with you. Thank you that you've got a plan and a purpose for each person in this room. God, I pray that you would help us to see ourselves the way you see us. God, I pray that you would break our hearts for the things that break yours. God, that in this moment, tonight, that you would would start something new. God, I pray there would be a switch in Jesus' name. That maybe there's people in this room where you've been feeling defeated. I want to remind you that you're not just a conqueror. The Bible calls you more than a conqueror. There are people in this room where you've seen yourself as a victim and you've held on to that. The Bible calls you a son or daughter, a warrior. Jesus, I pray for new beginnings, fresh starts. And I pray, Father, I pray for an open heaven. I pray for a move of your spirit. I pray that, Father, you would do something, a deep work in us, God, that we can look back to this moment say, wow, Jesus changed something tonight. May we leave here different than the way we came in. We give you our burdens and we pray for your presence. In your name we pray. Amen. Let's worship together.